Welcome to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web design and development with a little bit of zest. And today we're going to be talking all about creating a development environment in the terminal. Web development and design, who would have guessed what we can do on both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. Hello, my name is Amy Dutton. I am the Director of Design at Zeal, and today we have with us Josh Medeski. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hi, thanks. Yeah, I'm a full-stack developer at a startup called Nutility, also a content creator talking about all of the fun stuff that we're going to cover today. Of course, we mentioned this before we started, but I was here probably eight months ago or so yeah. talking about full-stack PR previews like database branching and, you know, web and server deployments and getting some cool technology stitched together. So that, that was a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. And me and me and James talked about the terminal a little bit there, uh, using yeah. like terminal-based in, in an environment to be more productive. And so this is something that I want to more into today. Perfect. So I'll start with this, Amy. Yeah. Uh, what is your experience with the terminal as a developer and designer? Oh man, that's a great question. So my entire history, this might be going back more than you want. I was so scared of the terminal. Like my first real exposure was in college and we were writing C++ and a lot of the stuff that we were doing was in the terminal and we were using Vim. And I was just so afraid that I was going to hit the wrong key and delete my entire hard drive. I just had it in my brain. (laughs) So I was so slow too, because I was very careful And then I kind of avoided it for the longest time. And then I was got into SAS. So that's like writing CSS and it'll compile it. And I was using a WYSIWYG compiler and I'm trying to, the name escapes me right now, but it was just slow. I'd hit save and it would take at least five or 10 seconds, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're trying to move back and forth quickly, it can take a while. So it was hard to get that feedback. And so then I was introduced to Grunt and then Gulp. And when I started migrating to those tools and using them within the terminal, it was like almost immediate. Like the change would appear in the browser before I had even a chance to switch over to it. And so as I got more comfortable with Gulp and Grunt, I started moving everything into the terminal. So now I'm pretty sufficient in the terminal, but I still feel like my knowledge set is limited to a specific set of tools and workflows. It's not as advanced as I'm sure some of the stuff that you do. Yeah, sure. And um, I'm guessing you use like a VS Code day to day and oh yeah, you pull up that terminal emulation, right? That yeah, com- what is it? Command tilde uh, will bring right. up the terminal. That's right. So I either use that. I also am a huge fan of iTerm or iTerm two or Hyper. And then I've heard several people recently talk about Warp. So I've downloaded it, but I haven't really gotten into it yet. But I do okay, know there's so a few. you're experimenting. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That's great. And so I want to talk about sort of my environment today. And as a preface, I have a course coming out that is basically a way for people to get into this kind of world of terminal-based editing. And the idea being like delete VS Code, like go. Del- delete it from your computer, never open what? it again. And, <laughs> and within the time that I have to help you set this up, and it's going to be very clear and step-by-step kind of thing, you can be just as productive within just a few days. And then you'll 
my intention and what I think a lot of people and comments, people in chat tell us as well, but like you will be far more productive and mm-hmm. efficient and quicker. Everything you do, just like that example you brought up, you know, that GUI that was compiling your CSS from SAS took a while. The same kind of rule applies to all of the things that we do in development. So that includes our having sessions. Maybe there's multiple VS mm-hmm. Code windows up at a time because you have different projects you're working on at once. Yep. Or referencing different work at the same time. And then you have the actual editor itself. And so I'm a big Vim user. I use a fork called NeoVim, which has become very popular over the last few years. But more importantly, it's become more stable and it's become more feature rich, uh, which is often why people go, well, I wouldn't want to use this tool because it's like less sophisticated as a more traditional tool. And and that's, that's just not the case anymore. And so it's exciting to get people into this and learn more about it so that they can try it for themselves. Awesome. I'm excited. And so let's talk a little bit about IDEs. So integrated development environments, we think of the more traditional ones like WebStorm. Mm-hmm. Visual Studio is officially like an IDE. And these tools are what I call the kitchen sink approach. Okay. So they offer you everything that you need to be a developer. They offer code editing. They offer you how to run unit tests. They offer you how to run, like do version control, right? And so these things often are bloated pieces of software. What I have found is that they take up a lot of your computers, uh, Mm. CPU and RAM and all of this. And there's a running joke about opening VS code and you lose like over half of your computer's ability to process. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the benefits I've seen here. So there's a k- kitchen sink approach. Just give me software that's opinionated and gives me everything that I need to be a developer. And there's a little bit of, I don't know, there's some conflict here in this world of Vim users, Emacs users, you know, or VS Code users. And I'm trying my best to create a culture where, you know, if VS Code works for you, you can listen to what I have to say today, but like keep using VS Code if that's what you like and that's what works for you. And you don't want to, you know, have to learn something new or put any time and effort into like, you know, doing this thing rather than like, I just want to sharpen my skills as a developer. So sure. now uh, VS Code yeah. does have a Vim like mode, right? So yeah, you absolutely. Kind of do some kind of hybrid experience, right? Most people that have never heard of Vim, I often tell them, hey, go install the Vim plugin mm-hmm. in VS Code or extension, sorry, and, and learn the basics. Vim itself is, of course, a modal editor, which means you have something called normal mode, which allows you to move around and manipulate text using okay. the keyboard. Mm-hmm. So like the most basic example is you can use the H, J, K, and L as arrow keys. So if mm-hmm. you want to go down, you can hit J rather than reaching for the arrow keys. But more interestingly, you can move between modes and you can say, I want to delete this, something like delete inside of a function and rewrite the function if there's a refactor or, or a bug or something you have to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it becomes this place where you have your movements and then you have the actual inserting of the text. And then it's hard to explain here, but Vim grows as you use it. So the more you learn the commands and the movements and the ways in which you can interact with text, you can mix and match ideas in order to get different kinds of movements. And so this isn't going to be like a Vim talk specifically. And 
I would recommend if you are interested, type the words Vim Tutor, one word lowercase in your terminal, and it will pull up a document that teaches you Vim. And you kind of have to learn the Vim bindings in order to navigate through the tutorial. And so that's a really great starting place for people. Interesting. Now, we did get one question in the chat is, can you install this on Windows? Yes, absolutely. Nowadays, people are using things like WSL2, which gives you a Unix-based like virtual machine. And that is often the easiest way to set something like this. And I will have some conversations around Windows, but my primary focus right now is Mac users. And then Linux users, of course, have a very similar feature to all of this. So we were talking about IDE. Let's talk about PDEs for a second. So the guy that is one of the maintainers of NeoVim is come up, he came up with a term called personalized development environments. So if IDEs are an all-encompassing, batteries included, kitchen sink kind of piece of software that lets you make minor changes, but doesn't really let you fundamentally interact with what features are there and not. This new term is this idea like you can bring your own tools which to me is exciting. And I have a whole YouTube channel about this stuff. And so you get to pick and choose. It's kind of like a buffet, right? You get to pick and choose exactly what you want. And if you don't like something anymore, you can just get rid of it and replace it with something else. Because of course, development, for most of us, we spend decades doing this. And so for me, in the last 10 years of doing this, my BIM setup looks very different than it did 10 years. So -hmm. it's sort of an evolving thing. And you have the opportunity to sort of create a hobby out of this if you want. That's kind of how much time you could put into it. But again, I want to make this approachable for people. And if you don't want to spend, you know, dozens of hours working on this stuff, you don't have to. You just have to follow some, you know, instructions from some people. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit in the next section about like what's important to me, because I think that's important is like setting values and guidelines like mm-hmm. what matters to me in my setup versus just the generic cookie cutter kind of thing. That can, sure. Like we said. There was a comment between differentiating between Vim. Is that NeoVim and Vim Motions? Um, I don't think there's too much of a difference. So NeoVim is a fork of Vim and okay. it, they have offered things like language servers. So things like autocomplete that we have in VS code and understanding, you know, what functions are referenced where in your project. Those kinds of tools are features that NeoVim offers that Vim doesn't really offer out of just in its base configuration. Okay. Um, and so we could probably talk a whole hour about motions, but but we won't <laughs> okay. for today because um, I want to take a higher level view at this. And I will say that, you know, this is all sort of opinionated. So this is what has worked for me for almost the last decade. Um, I have been like a terminal only person. Like I only use the terminal for at least the last four or five years. Wow. And before then I've used VS Code. I've used Dreamweaver. I've used PHP Storm. Like I've used different editors over the years. And for me, this is what's worked is landing on this workflow. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard like that's the difference between a junior and a senior is getting to the point where you have the experience to be able to make those opinions. And like, as you were saying in this context, I am opinionated about these things, but that's because you have the experience and to be able to form that. Yeah. And I, 
I've been a boot camp instructor and I've taught a lot over the years. So it's my hope to get more people into this and get excited about it. And so let's talk about some like principles. So I'll start with you, Amy, like when you're programming, the extensions you choose, the keyboard shortcuts that you memorize, like what is important to you when you think about those things? Yeah, well, what's interesting, I don't know if this is the right answer or not. No right answer. A lot of a lot of the keyboard shortcuts I have have been ported over from one tool to the next. Yeah. So for example, if you pull up VS Code, it will ask you, do you want to pull over all your bindings from Sublime? So I was like, yes, I do. And before Sublime, it was TextMate. So it's just whatever started probably within TextMate, because I think I went from Dreamweaver to TextMate, have just continued to follow me. And those have been the key bindings that I continue to use. For anything new that I add, I generally try and pick something that like is part of the word. So, you know, like copy it. Mnemonics is what we yeah, call it, right? Exactly. If it's like copy, C makes sense. Obviously, copy is kind of universal, but kind of following that same pattern. I love that. Yeah. So mnemonics, when you need to reach for something custom, and then something you're already familiar with, which I mm-hmm. love that. And you know, another thing might be reach. So there's certain keyboards that I have that I can easily do with one hand. On my left hand, I don't have to have my right hand. So if I am using the mouse my or trackpad, my right hand can stay on that and I can just hit the key keyboard shortcut with right. my left hand. No, I love that. Yeah, I have almost all my key bindings. My global things I do on the computer is all bound to one hand, mm-hmm. um, like, like you just mentioned. So cool. So one thing that is very daunting to people is that like you have to learn if you're a mac user you have to like learn the control key when you mm-hmm. do this terminal stuff like vim there's a lot of vim stuff that's like control something control something okay um one thing i've done and the formula i've achieved is i use command keys in my terminal workflow so i use command t for new tab i use command p for open file i use command shift p to run a command so like these are very common keyboard shortcuts that have been around since Sublime. Uh, Adam, I think, did the same thing. Oh, yeah. So, Left like, that went out of the list. <laughs> brackets. Anyone remember brackets from Adobe? So, like, yeah, there's all these editors and they've all sort of decided, hey, let's use some key bindings to get mm-hmm. around. The thing that I like is macOS, uh, we call it like Darwin style. So, Darwin is sort of this underlying term for this command key driven keyboard shortcuts. And I have found like, uh, we can talk about it more later, but like command G is opens up a Git UI and I can mm-hmm. do all my Git commands by hitting command G. So I do some mnemonics as well. Like you, like you mentioned, if you want to close a window, it's command W. So all of the things you do in Mac OS already, I've ported them over and it makes it very fast and efficient workflow. And you don't really lose anything from VS code. In fact, you can add new things that you mm-hmm. couldn't do with VS code. So that's one of the first things that I do is like, okay. let's make it feel like Mac OS. Let's use the command key. Let's not have to like learn a totally new way of using key bindings to be productive. Um, now, are you having to manually program in each of these for your setup or is there a good starting point? Do you have a starting point? What does that look so like? I have a whole video on this. So I use a terminal emulator called Alacrity. And for those that use Kitty, uh, that's kind of the next uh, most common one for people in this world. Both of them let you add configurations to overwrite command keys. And it's really just a matter of copy paste, you Thanks. know, and if you want to learn how to make your own 
and this is sort of to another point, but like you, you can learn how to map key, any mm. key binding to any other key binding in the terminal environment. And so uh, you can come up with your own if you want. But yes, uh, we'll link to that video. It'll also be a part of this course. So I'll tell you exactly how to do it and what steps you need in order to achieve it. But this one is more important to me and something I couldn't really do in VS Code in the past or something that didn't work super well for me. And that is this idea of I want to type as little characters as possible. Mm. It has become almost an obsession. So I spoke at VimCom probably a year and a half ago and I did one on stenography and this idea of like, how do court reporters write 300 words a minute, right? That's their average. They have to type 300 words a minute to pass a stenography school. And so it's like, all right, I don't want to learn stenography. It's hard and weird and its own thing. But the idea was like, how do I achieve 80% or more of my daily work with two to three characters? Mm. So every time you run npm run start, I'm doing ns enter. And it just, it just does. And so I have these sort of mnemonics like you had brought up, but they're even shorter Mm. and they're sort of globally available. I can run these things kind of whenever I want, wherever I want. And even though I know people can type 150 words a minute, I'm like, but what if you just typed 80% less than you usually do? Like how do we leave typing to? In inserting new code, which even then we can talk about snippets, but like, how about we just stop typing? Cause I, I was running into issues with wrist pain in my mm-hmm. mid twenties. Cause I had been doing so much that, you know, involved hand sure. coordination and stuff. And I was like, this has got to change. Um, and so this Vim helped a lot, but then this whole terminal based workflow was like, Oh, I can do almost everything I want within less than five keystrokes. That's and awesome. And it's, I find new ways to get better every day, which is why I'm here on the internet uh, telling people how to do things so they don't have to think as, as hard as I have about this yeah. stuff. Because there's this idea called the 80-20 rule. And basically it means that 80% of our output is from like 20% of our effort, mm-hmm. uh, which means like of all the terminal commands you run and all the files that you're navigating in your project, like there's a select few number of things that really impact progress. And so I'm constantly thinking about that. I'm not sure if it's shown up in the comments yet, but the next big piece of this is automation. So we love automation. I'm sure you learned, you talked about Goal and Grunt. Those are great automation tools. Mm-hmm. So they do complicated steps, like they compile code, maybe they rename files, maybe they wipe out cache directories, right? Those are amazing tools and you have all that sort of stuff and even more at your disposal when you get good at the terminal. And there's all sorts of packages and libraries and just different tools basically available to us to let us be very productive in automating repetitive tasks. Mm -hmm. I like to think a lot. I only want to think when I'm solving like business problems, like actually like solving a real world problem that impacts my end user like that's the stuff i want to think about everything else i just want to kind of have become muscle memory and and become something that over time you just you just don't think about it sure that could be true for most people that get good at vs code keyboard shortcuts it's like you can get around and do everything you want to do without thinking about it 
And so, yeah, that, those are two big pieces. And then the last one is I have made my terminal very pretty. <laughs> uh, as a fellow designer, Amy's a designer, yeah. a designer. I went to college for design. So like, that's my background mm-hmm. originally. And my, one of my, some of my closest friends, like, will make fun of me. They'll be like, why, why are you making the terminal pretty? Like, that's an oxymoron. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. And most times that I see people like show these tools off on YouTube or where, no, no shade to them, but most of the time when I see these terminal based workflows being used, I'm like, it is very ugly. It is like the colors are inconsistent. The spacing is off. The, you know, it's not even interesting or appealing looking. And so one of the things I've done, especially in my YouTube channel and stuff is like, make data focus. Let's make it pretty. Let's use consistent coloring, which I know you'll appreciate. Mm-hmm. So like if a color means something, then it'll, that color will carry through the entire workflow. And it go, I have to sort of go out of my way to configure some of these tools and be like, especially to be the, as minimal as I have been. Like I'm going to remove half of the UI elements on this tool. I just don't want to see, like, I don't, I don't care what time it is. I don't care what the name of my machine mm-hmm. is. Um, <laughs> what else shows up? Like in Vim, there's like, what position is my cursor on the screen? Like mm-hmm. that stuff doesn't really matter to me. I don't think it really matters to most people. And so there's this idea of like sensory overload that I see with, especially the big IDEs. There's like, you know, there's like a hundred items on the sidebar and then mm-hmm. There's another two dozen on the bottom and top of the screen. For me, it, it's distracting. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe I have ADD. Maybe I don't, but like, I, I just don't want to see anything but what I'm working on. There's a couple of questions. I don't want to interrupt your flow, yeah, but I don't want them not. to get lost either. So Omar was asking, are you using Windows PowerShell? So I am not much of a PowerShell user. We're about halfway through the conversation. The second half of the conversation, I will talk a lot about what I use. Cool. Good question. And, and I'm our, a Mac user. So. <laughs> Sorry, Omar. Sorry, and this Omar. This one is really interesting to me. Matthias is asking how AI can change the terminal use cases, things like Warp or Copilot or even audio processing to perform CLI tasks. Yeah. So I played around with all of these things. I think for the beginner, it is super helpful to say, hey, how do I do this in the terminal? And there are like Copilot how, now has a CLI. That's in like private mm-hmm. access. You can get enrolled into it. And you can just say like, hey, how do I uh-huh. check out my branch in Git? How do I do that? And Copilot can tell you when you can run those commands based off of their feedback. So that's a great use case. For me lately, I there are some programming language I'm not super good at, even though I do write sometimes like fast. Uh, Lua is a new one that I use a lot. Let's see. Even PHP, you know, stuff comes up and you're going to use a program or language you don't usually use. I have found Copilot or similar tools to be extremely helpful in like, mm-hmm. hey, I want to do an if state. I don't remember the syntax or I don't know, like, like in shell commands, you have to execute commands often to evaluate output. And so it doesn't really feel like a traditional programming language. And so I'm like, all right, well, just remind me how this all works. Mm-hmm which makes it even more accessible to people that aren't used to this. Um, sure. So a good question for sure. And by the way, I have autocomplete Copilot in my workflow. People are like, well, I don't want to 
ditch DBS code. Otherwise I lose that. And like, well, no, you can keep it. And so those are kind of, those are, that's the introduction. That's the conversation is let's ditch VS code. Let's have something that is more like a buffet. Like I'm going to pick and choose what I want. And as I learn more about these tools, I can have even more customizability. And for some people that is exciting and fun. And for others, the main selling point is like, let's declutter the editor, but let's keep all the power. In fact, let's increase the power and let you do even more because these tools are so efficient. Sure. Usually my computer sits at like 10% CPU usage, maybe less. And that's probably the browser mostly taken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not even uh, these tools that I'm mentioning. Yeah. Okay. So this is my introduction. I know some of you will be listening through audio. And so we're just going to talk about it. I'm going to talk through my workflow. This is how I do things. I have a five minute video on YouTube that did very well. Everybody was like, wow, I want to see how you do things. So we're going to sort of repeat that conversation here. Um, but I've, you know, learned a lot and done some even more things since then. So there are, I'm going to talk about three elements. Basically, there's three major elements to a terminal. And to preface that, we just need like a terminal emulator. So Amy mentioned iTerm. Mine is, it's almost not visible, right? There's no borders. It's a semi-transparent thing, which is part of that aesthetic I talked about. And the whole thing starts here. Super, super minimal. I hide this and this. I think it's hiding over here. Like I just get everything out of my way. And so alacrity is what's achieving this. The second piece, which someone just asked that question earlier, is like, you need a shell script to interact with your computer. So I know, Amy, it was a little daunting in college. Like, what happens if I RM, RF, right? We don't want to run that. That's a bad command. Most computers don't allow that anymore. But yes, it can be a little daunting. Yes, there are ways in which you could mess up your computer. But I have a good video on, like, what is a terminal? And it just kind of explains, you know, how do all these pieces come together? And how do I run things in the terminal? Like, what's happening? And so we won't go too into depth about that. But the shell that I use is called Fish, and it is a friendly interactive shell. That's what it stands for. Most computers, especially Macs, come with ZSH now. And so if we were to just say like Echo shell, we can see that my shell is Fish. And so Fish just offers a few things. Let's talk about what it offers. I can do like NPM. It's actually not even visible. But I can do like NPM, and I can see different a history of command are always available to me. And this is true for any, this is true for any terminal environment. But again, by an, it's a little bit prettier and Fish offers you some, some really nice features in interacting with the commands that you run and things like autocomplete. So we can say like, let's go to my website and let's like engage start. And so you get, you can have autocomplete. So autocomplete's there. All the things that you would expect to see are there. And fish is probably the least interesting part of this. And so we're just kind of dive into it a little bit more. So basically everything is driven by this session manager. So we talked about how do you open a project? You go to VS code, you pick a folder and you wait 30 seconds and there you go. VS code is there. And for me, so I got some work projects on here. I've got some personal projects on here. I've got some plugins that I've written. And this is basically everything. And so it 
none of this was populated by me. This is all auto-generated by the tool. And so the more you use it, the more helpful it becomes. And so I can open up multiple projects at the same time. And so again, you just type in as few characters as you need to get to the project. And so you can see within three or four keystrokes, I'm able to run all of these projects at once. And so this is a tool called Tmux. Tmux is very powerful. It is the most popular choice as of right now for this kind of thing. It allows us to run different terminal sessions at the same time in sort of this headless way for those that are part of the web and know that term. So I could just kill Alacrity. The terminal emulator is gone. And you're like, oh man, I lost all those projects. Well, not really. I can reattach and all of those projects are still there. In fact, if I was to run something in Node and open up Code Editor, we're going to see all these things start spinning up. Uh, let's say I go to a different project. I want to pull up Git. We'll talk more about this. But I can go to a different project and I could run a different script. We can see that all of these things work in parallel. Kind of like having multiple VS Code windows up or multiple terminal instances running in VS Code. But again, I was at 12% CPU usage. Now I'm at 15%. So it took very little effort on my computer to do these things. Mm -hmm. And even more so, if I close everything and I can even kill Tmux and make it completely go away, uh, within just a few seconds, um, I can have all of the projects I just had up within just a few seconds. So I love this plugin. I'm, I'm the original author, but I've had lots of contributors come in and, and help me make this better. And as you can see, it's like that aesthetically pleasing thing I talked about. It just has what it's, it needs in order mm-hmm. to be useful and everything else isn't there, which is, should we, should we do it? Should we pop a VS code? Yeah, let's do on it. The, on the terminal top. <laughs> let's see. One, two, three, four, oh, no. five, six. <laughs> All right. So it took six or seven seconds. I don't even have a project CPU? open. I was like, what does your CPU look like? It's at 88%. <laughs> uh, now it's at 60%. All right. So it's jumping all over the place. Now are uh, you, you may have said this. Are you on an M1? I am on an M1. Okay. Yeah, a MacBook Pro. So it's a pretty powerful computer. But yeah, we're spiked up at 75% usage. And I can't even edit. I mean, look, it's frozen. Well, that's, um, <laughs> that's embarrassing. <laughs> I know. I know. But and then for those that are listening, you just got to trust us. So we're, what we're saying is true. You know, it just takes a while. And there's something going on here. It didn't even render correctly. Look at this. There's something wrong with the rendering right now. So I don't know what that is either. But let's just kind of compare apples to oranges. Like, look how many buttons there are. There are buttons everywhere. Let's say we even tried to get rid of this stuff. And then down here, there's so much to see. And so that's sort of the refreshing take I have on all this. I think VS Code, to some extent, will let you hide much of this, and I have tried, but they are, like, not... It, the things that hide away a lot of the UI here, it's not really supported by VS Code or its team. It's all, like, extra extensions that are kind of buggy. And so I've made an effort. I mean, I don't even know what's happening. That is a little Probably. strange. I've never yeah. seen that. I think I've never, I've never seen this demo. <laughs> I've never seen this. I know. You would have thought I'd planned this out, right? Um, and so there's a lot here. Some people go, great. All of this is useful and helpful. And maybe you have a different guiding principle than me. That is, I want 
any useful piece of information always be within view. And that's fine. People, people often like to do that, but I don't. And let's see, we'll, we'll close this and we'll kind of head our way back here. And so Tmux is the session manager. So it lets us, and I use my little pop-up. I have it bound to command J. So it's right there on the first finger and I can either switch to a project or I can spin up a new one. So we have this like, uh, have this icon one. What a nerve. And again, it's fuzzy, so you don't have to type all the characters. You just have to get them in the right order. All right, so let's stay here. And so I have personally found it very useful to put everything on the top of my view. So all of the interesting, useful information for me is at my eye line. And this is the TMUX status bar. And so it shows you the name of the session you're in. And I have some additional tooling that I called GitMUX that lets me see the branch. And this is the state of the project. So three files have changed. There's one new file. And then there's these are the lines that have been added and removed right now in this repository. We talked about Command G. So if I hit Command G, this opens a tool called LazyGit. I don't know if you know this term, Amy, but have you heard of a TUI? I have not. So there's this kind of hybrid term of, called terminal UI. And so this would have be categorized as that. Uh, interesting. And so you use single characters to navigate through this tooling. So things like HJKNL, like I mentioned, act as arrow keys. And then it's fairly intuitive. So if I hit the space bar, it stages. And if I, let's just say I want to just commit this one, I can hit C and I can say feature new output panel in plugin. Interesting. And I so can hit, yeah. for our podcast listeners that can't see this, I mean, you can come check out the live stream. It'll be available on James's YouTube sure. channel. But one thing I wanted to kind of highlight or like verbally translate is that there's panes here and it looks very visual. It doesn't look like what I normally think of when I think of a terminal. Like you have windows that are popping, like say windows, like boxes that are popping up that you can interact with. And it does look beautiful, like with the different colors and things like that. So we made it pretty. We made it, you know, well aligned. Everything kind of has its place. Yeah. I can also hit like shift P to push commits. And then if I hit Q, I can go back to whatever I was doing before. That's great. And so um, it's. And Matthias asked a question. He said, is it possible to have multiple profiles for the terminal and Vim with different colors, fonts, et cetera? You can. I have been playing around with something. Let's see how much interest I can get from this. I have this tool that lets me change my colors on the fly. You can definitely change colors. There's a lot of cool distros out there and people with tooling that let you swap them out. In the future, I have an idea of like changing the color and the wallpaper based on the project you're in. Mm. So like if we go to my website, all the colors match my branding and the background image changes. That would be cool. I definitely would have to put more work into it to get it working. But these are all standard colors. So, you know, we have an 8-bit color palette or 16-bit if you want to go there. You know, red, green, yellow, blue, purple. We call this cyan. And then white and black and grays. And so those are kind of the main colors you get to deal with. But we'll talk about it. Tmux offers all 256 colors. So you can use pretty much any hex code you want in most cases to style things. But you'll see for me, like I have the status of Tmux set to blue. I have another section where I set it to magenta. 
So the magenta is sort of the active, the active code. But yeah, and good question. More to come. It seems like is my answer to that. There's a distro called NVChad for those NeoVim users, and they have a pretty cool color picker where you can like change between, just like VS Code has its color theme picker. There's some really similar options depending on how you set up your workflow. So again, kind of pick and choose what you want. And then the bread and butter, unless anyone has another question. Yeah, there's one more. So Eric was asking, who is this workflow intended for? The person who just started a program or a more experienced person? What are the pros and cons other than performance and clean UI? Very, very good question. So often enough, when I meet beginners, you know, people that are entry-level programmers in the field, I usually tell them, hey, wait a while, wait a year or two, maybe come back to this. So the, the primary people I'm reaching are people that know how to program. Maybe they've even chosen a profession in programming and have been doing it for some time. But with that being said, you can learn these things. You just have to decide how much of the learning curve these things you know, bring to you are worth the effort on trying to also learn programming concepts. Because I would argue, go learn JavaScript before you learn Tmux would be my advice. But besides clean UI, clean UI, what did you mention? Clean UI and like efficiency, I guess. Yeah, um, he said performance and clean UI. Yeah, performance. It's not just computer performance. For me, it's performance. Yeah, you know, I can get anywhere I want and do anything I want within, let's say, 15 keystrokes. And so that is really appealing to me. It's a huge time-saving thing. I often spend less time doing things than my counterparts simply because of these tools existing and fitting together nicely. Yeah, really good question. Totally fair. And if you are a beginner and you're like, I really want to learn Vim, these skills can translate. So like if you are a writer, like I'm a writer, right? So if we want to open up a blog post, oh, it's not going to be there yet, Mark. So me and Mark had a conversation and I, you know, I can have just blog posts written in this environment. So if you're not really like, I'm going to become a programmer, I just want to, I just want to write faster. This kind of tool can offer some benefits there. Cool. So let's see, is it, we need to talk about Vim for a little bit. So let's, let's actually pull this up and talk. So this is a terminal emulator running what's called NeoVim, right? We talked about this. And so here's the workflow, right? I have tabs just like everybody's used to seeing what files are open and which ones are active. And so I can switch between them using the keyboard, right? Not the mouse, although you can still use the mouse if you want to, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then down here, I can see, okay, there's three lines added and four lines removed in this, or not four lines removed. But there are four potential errors. Often enough, it's my spell. Hey, I don't think that's a word. <laughs> and that can be, you know, adjusted. And so this is my way around. And let's talk about like, let's see. Now, I didn't spend hours and hours and hours trying to get this all perfect. I have done something most people do nowadays, which is using Vim Distro. And so this is the one I use. It is called Lazy Vim. And so Lazy Vim has a lot of the pre-configuration set up for things like language servers, autocomplete, pretty colors. And it gives you an opportunity to add new extensions and plugins and things you want to do to customize it in a very approachable and simple way. So I have gotten 
a coworker on this setup and he had never used Vim before. I think he's on this call. He had never used Vim before and he installed lazy Vim and he is more productive than he was within just a couple of weeks from when he was using his code every day. Awesome. And so you can kind of see immediate benefits really quickly by using distros. And the course I'm coming out with will basically be like, how do I get Fish and Tmux and Vim and all of these things put together looking nice like you've done and using helpful keyboard shortcuts that, you know, make you more efficient. So that, I mean, you got line numbers, you got symbols, you got, uh, we can do like autocomplete, which is, let's do a little autocomplete. So you can like hover over things and see what their types are. You can go to definition and you can see the code just like any other editor. Um, and this is all driven by, again, keyboard shortcuts. So if we go back to my website, we have like, we have, this is React, right? And so I can see that there's color highlighting from Tailwind. Uh, I can even get autocomplete from Tailwind. So I can be like, I want margin, bottom, whatever, and these things show up. And so again, all the same technology VS Code has offered us, we can put here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's see what else. I do, this is an Astro site, so we can use uh, Astro files as well. This is kind of a new trendy framework. Um, and sure enough, we've got full code completion and autocomplete and types and everything is understood. You can even go to definition and dump between, you know, different places in the code. And again, most of this is fairly minimal setup once you understand how it works. I think that's the main things I want to cover today. Just kind of wanted to show it off a little, show you guys that it is approachable. It doesn't take too much effort to get started and learn all of the basics. I think that 80-20 rule applies fairly well here. Please stop sharing. One of the questions that we had was, you mentioned that you're using Copilot. Are you using it as a comp or as a panel? How does that? I am using it as a comp, for those that know what he's talking about. So there's a tool in NeoVim that lets you add any sorts of autocompletes that you want. There's sort of this autocomplete plugin that can be extended. And so I've added Copilot to that. Cool. Um, awesome. Very cool. And so this is the intro. This is the hour-long conversation about what it's going to be. I do, I probably will open up a Discord or something like that and let people have some organic conversations. And I'm also on Twitter, and there's a lot of great NeoVim, Tmux, terminal-based people. There's a whole community right now of people that are really engaged and pretty active in these conversations. And then, of course, YouTube. There's lots of great YouTubers out there that are also pushing this stuff and talking about it. And I'm just fortunate to be one of those. There's, There's another question from Nick. Can you clarify that a lot of the config is manual through config files, not just adding a plugin and a GUI that a lot of people would be used to, just trying to manage expectations? Yeah, that's really fair, Nick. When I would do it, yes, VS Code is add an extension and then you push the plus button and then you're done. So there's this idea in the terminal-based workflows, uh, there's this idea of dot files, which are hidden files living in your, usually your home directory somewhere. And you use, you have to create and manage those files in order to customize your setup. And so that is the one. So someone's asking, like, did I refer to one earlier? Yes, that is definitely one of those videos. It's typically a a static file. 
So it's a lot like what you'd expect to see in like when you create a project and you have like a dot editor config or a dot prettier RC. And you can think of it very similarly, except those are just global files that configure your Pmux or your NeoVim or your, we didn't talk much about it, but my prompt, the way that I get the prompt to look so nice and show me different elements is also just something you install, add to your config file, and it just works. And so you, you get used to it, but yeah, that is, that is the way it works. You have the touch files. They're in a few different formats. Usually they're bash scripts or Lua, I mentioned Lua before, uh, or YAML, things like that. But often enough, just to get to be dangerous, you just have to learn how to add and set values, typically, sure. which is the most simplest way uh, to interact with programs. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover before we move on to the next segment? Um, the only thing I'll mention as someone here may feel a little overwhelmed Almost every one of these projects is open source and free, which hasn't been said yet. In fact, I personally don't pay for anything tied to my developer workflow. Aside from, I guess, Copilot, the autocomplete thing that GitHub offers. So that's a paid service, but that, I want to consider that part of the developer workflow. That's just a generic, like, AI tool. Same with Warp. Warp is offering similar features. And I think you have to pay to get a certain of those features. Anyway. It's a free world. And the second piece of this is I would say almost every single one of these tools are well documented. So it's not like the Wild West. You're not like completely lost and have no idea what these things are. You have every opportunity to go to the GitHub repo and read through the documentation that often explains very clearly how things work. And there's actually documentation built into the terminal. Uh, we call these man pages. I don't like the exclusivity there, but uh, they're manual pages. Sure, and so yeah, for manual. <laughs> you, you can type man Pmux and an entire like 2000 page or not 2000 page, 2000 word document spits out in your terminal and tells you everything you need to know about Tmux. Um, and so the reason that I'm so well versed in Tmux, especially, is I've just reread uh, re that manual over and over and over again mm-hmm. until it all made sense. Hopefully so I can share this knowledge with all of you. Yeah, uh, but the good. same, same for Vim, same for Fish. All of these are very well documented. So probably more well documented than VS Code, I might say. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever read VS Code documentation. But for everything else in the world of terminal environment stuff, there's, you know, very open conversations about this stuff. And I had features. I now contribute to these projects to some extent, which is fun, but you definitely don't have to if you just want to use them to be more productive. Sure. Awesome. Well, we will move into the next segment of the show, which is our picks and plugs section where we pick something that we like and plug something generally that we've worked on, but in either case, neither one of them needs to be tech related. So Josh, do you have any picks and plugs for us? Sure. So I have a record collection in the back for those that noticed it. So I got this at RemixCom, which is cool. So I won a free record at, at uh, the latest Remix conference in Salt Lake a couple of weeks ago. So Nirvana, always a good fix. And then I'm going to shout out my course one more time. So this is a getting started with a terminal-based developer environment. This The whole conversation we had today, I'm going to have a course. It'll be free. You go step-by-step step through every piece of it. I make sure you have at least the understanding of all the basics 
and I give you the opportunity to customize and configure it to your liking with some examples of how I've customized and configured it to my own liking. And then, yeah, and so it's going to be free. It's on my website, joshmaniski.com, which we'll link to it. I have some early adopters that are going to test it out before it goes live. So feel free to shoot me a message on Twitter. It, it's not late June and you're, you're listening to this before late June. <laughs> and that's me. Thanks, Amy. Awesome. Yeah, sure thing. So I'm going to pick NordVPN. So whenever I am traveling around, it's the VPN that I reach for. The reason that I reach for it is that it's fairly cheap. I have like a three-year subscription to it because it was the easiest way to get it. But if I yesterday I went and worked from Chick-fil-A. And so as soon as I hook into their Wi-Fi or if I'm at the airport, it'll automatically pop up. The interface is very simple and easy to use. So I highly recommend a VPN if you're doing any kind of working on public Wi-Fi or anything like that. And the nice thing about it too is it has you can install it on your phone as well as an app to help protect your phone. And for my plug, I'm going to plug the Learn, Build, Teach Discord channel. That's learnbuildteach.com. And that will automatically redirect you to join the server. And it's just a great place where you can get a lot of your questions answered. It's a server that James runs, but I'm there as a moderator. And we try and do as much as we can to help beginners and seniors alike. So check that out at learnbuildteach.com. So I just want to thank you, Josh, for coming on the show today and sharing all your experience with working with the terminal. So I know that'll definitely be something that I'm interested in looking at as well as I'm sure a lot of the people that have tuned in today. So we'll be sure to watch out for that course launch. And in the meantime, that's all we've got.